Holy and gracious God, we thank you for the gift of this day to come into your presence and say as one, surely God is in this place. We know you. In the hymns we sing, in the prayers we say, now speak to us by your word. We truly want to be able to say and to know that you are with us in whatever place we may be. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Jacob is a jerk. He is deceitful. He is conniving. He is a thief. The reason that he is running from Beersheba, his home, to Haran, where his grandfather lived and where his uncle still lives, is that he is fleeing for his life. His brother wants to kill him, and for very good reason. Now, the Bible is full of stories of dysfunctional families. This is one of the most dysfunctional of all of the families. There is sibling rivalry, parental favoritism, lying, cheating with one another in the family, fighting over inheritance. It has all of the makings of a fabulous soap opera. Jacob has been fighting with his brother Esau ever since they were in the womb. Rebecca felt the boys kicking in her womb so hard that she was miserable and went to the priest and said, these boys will be the death of me. And the priest said, well, it might be so. They will certainly give you trouble. And they will fight with one another. Jacob tried so hard to be born first. But his brother Esau beat him out of the womb. And Jacob has been trying to get back ever since. Once when Esau had come home from a long hunt bringing food home for the family, he was famished. And there was Jacob cooking this marvelous stew. And the wonderful smells of the stew filled the house, and, and, and Esau smelled this <clears throat> stew. And he was so hungry. And he said, bring me some. Bring me some of that wonderful stew you have made. And Jacob would not give it to him until Esau swore his birthright over to his brother. Now the birthright means that Esau gave away the privileges and the power of the firstborn. Jacob got it. He got all that power and privilege and double the inheritance. 
on the occasion where we find Jacob today, Jacob has joined with his mother in tricking Isaac, Rebecca's husband, Jacob's father, who was very old and dying, into cheating, into giving Jacob the blessing that is rightfully Esau's. Now, a blessing was a binding verbal last will and testament. And some of us remember this old story from from Sunday school where Rebecca says, Come on, Jacob, we'll dress you in Esau's clothing, and then we'll put the lamb skins on your arms so that Esau, or when Isaac feels your skin, your arms, he'll think it's Esau. We're going to get you that blessing. And it works. And so Jacob, gotten the birthright, steals the blessing that was rightfully Esau's. And that blessing is the blessing from Abraham, the blessing of many descendants to bless the world the land and the fatness of the earth. Esau is consoling himself by plotting how he will kill Jacob. Rebekah gets word of this and says to Jacob, Go! Go stay with my brother. Go to Haran and stay with your uncle Laban. Stay there until this blows over. But it takes 20 years to blow over. And so Jacob is there running for his life, his brother so ready to kill him. And he finds himself out there underneath the stars with nothing but a rock for a pillow. He is literally between a rock and a hard place. And God comes to him in this place, and Jacob really deserves a talking from God. Jacob is a lying, deceitful cheat, and he has done abominable things. He is the classic trickster. And if God is just and fair and right, we would expect that God would have words for Jacob. But all God has for Jacob is more blessing. God repeats the blessing that Isaac gave to him, and then it goes on and on and on, and there is and, and there is and, and after the descendants, and they will spread to the north and the south and the east and the west, and I will be with you, and I will watch over you, and I will protect you, and I will bring you back here, and I will never desert you until well, I have done what I have said that I will do. It turns out that God is there when we are between a rock and a hard place. Now, I know that many of us grew up knowing the story of Jacob and Esau, and we most likely grew up with that God who, in all rights and purposes, had every right 
to have those words with Jacob. We grew up with a God who was good and merciful, but a king who set the laws, gave us our Ten Commandments. The eye in the sky who looks down upon the earth and loves all people and judges the nations and will one day set everything right. The good will receive their reward and the unworthy will receive their just reward. Somehow in this world or in the next, it will all be made fair and square. For God is fair and reasonable. And because God is just and reasonable, God must have a reason for giving Jacob Esau's blessings. Now maybe Esau did something terrible to offend God that wasn't in the Bible. Maybe Esau just didn't live up to God's expectations, just wasn't good enough. Maybe God just had something against Esau. There must have been some reason that God just, maybe God liked Jacob more. But it falls apart, doesn't it? When bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people, There must be a reason, we say. There has to be a reason. But in the midst of tragedy and suffering, that fair and reasonable God falls apart. In the past week, every other day, we've seen islands destroyed by hurricanes and an earthquake devastating cities so much suffering and we want a reason well we do know the reasons tectonic plates move buildings collapse because they aren't built to code storms are getting larger because the ocean is getting warmer sometimes accidents happen viruses make people sick but somehow these reasons just don't seem good enough or big enough to make sense of our suffering. We look for someone, some, someone, and then it gets into blame. God must have had something against, or maybe God is working something out, and, and maybe in the end we'll, we'll, we'll understand God's reasoning. Often we blame ourselves or the people who suffer. They must have done something wrong. What did I do? When we allow ourselves to believe that God would ever cause or intentionally allow people to suffer, we are doing damage to our souls. The 14th century theologian Meister Eckert preached a sermon in which he said, I pray to God that we may be free of God. I pray.
pray to God that we may be free of God. And, and we have to wonder why somebody would say a prayer like that who is seeking to have a life of faith. Meister Eckerd thought that the narrow, puny notions of God that too many of us carry around in our heads are simply unworthy of God and damaging to our human spirit. Another understanding of God which is becoming, rising up in theology, which has always been part of our tradition, right next to that God of judgment and reward and punishments, but there is this other image of God as profound mystery, an incomprehensible fullness of overflowing love that is the ground, the support, the goal of the world and each of our little infinitely yearning lives. Isn't that wonderful? An incomprehensible fullness of overflowing love. for each and every one of us. That is a contemporary theologian, Rainer. As the first letter of John would say, those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. I no longer believe in the God up in the sky who rewards some and punishes others. I no longer believe in a God who is reasonable and fair. I believe in a God who is much more. I believe in the God who became known to Jacob in his dream. God doesn't need a reason to love us. God simply is love. Jacob experiences the profound moment of grace. That incomprehensible, overflowing love is with him. And he experiences this vision of a stairway to heaven, a ladder. I love the image of one of my colleagues who said that that ladder has angels carrying up buckets of grief and fear and pain and guilt and shame and carrying down courage and peace and hope. And Jacob becomes awake to the incomprehensible fullness of overflowing love that is God. Surely God is in this place and I did not know it. We all, at one time or another, play the part of the trickster. Whether we have wanted to or not, we have been deceitful. We have probably cheated someone. Someone may even have called us a jerk.
God is not about who deserves and who doesn't deserve. God is only about love. So do we know this? Or are we full of reasons for why God shouldn't love us? Because we did something terrible or we're just not good enough? Or somehow not worthy or God just likes the other person better? Or maybe we're full of reasons of why God shouldn't love that person or that group of people. Maybe they did some terrible thing and certainly deserved a punishment. If so, then we need to pray, as Meister Eckhart did, Holy God, I pray that we may be free of God. Rid us of all of our puny notions of who you are that are unworthy of you and are damaging to the human spirit. For those of you who sew, there is a ladder stitch. And the ladder stitch sews together things that are torn or things that you want to close like a pillow or a stuffed animal where you want the stitch to be hidden. And isn't it often that God is like that, that hidden stitch? And yet God is with us. Buckets of love are held by angels passing up cleaning supplies to those who are in need. There is a freak place on the island of Puerto Rico where for some reason people are getting cell service. Surely, God is in this place. The psalmist said it best. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence, O God? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the place of the dead, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle in the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. The inescapable, incomprehensible fullness of overflowing love is with us in this place and in whatever place we might find ourselves. Wake up. Know it. God is in this place. Amen.